Last week, we started talking about flourishing a little bit, and we talked about what it means um, to care for yourself, um, to believe that, one, because of our image bearer, being an image bearer of God, um, we can say that we are worth caring for, um, and because there's work for us to do, and we need to take care of ourselves to be ready to do that work. And we talked about shalom, about the wholeness of God's plan for creation, the fullness of peace, and how shalom is innately about our interconnectedness, that we don't have shalom without each other, without all of creation. So really quickly, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and say, my well-being is dependent on your well-being. Because if you are not well, I'm not well. That's shalom. (laughs) And now, really quick, I'd like you to just stand up and find someone you don't know as well. (laughs) And say, my well-being is dependent on your well-being. Because I think sometimes the spouse's thing, like that's that's kind of obvious. Shalom is the very good in the gospel. 
Despite our anxious minds, despite threats of violence, and despite division, God's vision remains. Peace for a hurting soul and wholeness for a fragmented world. Amen. And we've been in the book of Mark, and that's what Jesus shows us. In the book of Mark, um, over and over and over, the author says, immediately Jesus went here. Immediately Jesus did this. The urgency is because of this longing for shalom that is in us and the importance of shalom to God's kingdom and to the gospel. And Jesus' urgency we talked about last week didn't mean he was rushed, didn't mean he was constantly hurried and frazzled the way that we feel are. When we feel like things have to happen immediately, we get a little bit frazzled. So last week we talked about that, but this week I want to talk about about that urgency. Um, actually wasn't anticipating preaching this Sunday, and then Dave and I were talking about my sermon, and I was like, oh, but I touched on this, and what about this thing, and I don't know, like, I couldn't get all of it, and he's like, well, maybe you should what? preach the rest of it on Sunday, and I was like, yes, okay, I will. Um, so that urgency, just because Jesus wasn't in a rush doesn't mean he did not understand the urgency of the message that he carried, the urgency of the work that he was doing. Because Jesus came into a world that was broken. That's why God needed to be here. Is because Shalom was not complete. So Jesus understood that that needed to happen. And that's where the immediacy that Mark talks about. That's why it's there. Because there's this sense of importance. This is something that needed. These things that Jesus was doing needed to happen right away. Because they were so important. Because they were so about what, who God is and what God wants. And the fact that we don't have all of that here and now. So in, our, in the passage that Dave read for us, can we go back to that? Jesus begins to teach them, talks about suffering. Peter rebukes him. We'll come back to that a little bit. But toward the end it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And I pointed this out last week. How can we read a verse about denying himself and then also say that we can take care of ourselves and that's okay to do? It says right there, deny yourself. And self-care is not denying yourself. It's like potentially the opposite. <laughs> Caring for self and denying self, it feels so antithetical. But I would put forth that Mark is not telling us to deny our needs, to deny who we are. Because if so, he's saying that our humanity does not matter, and that is not what Jesus taught us. That is not how Jesus lived. Jesus never once gave us the impression that his humanity didn't matter. He was fully God and fully human, and he lived into both of those. So this verb, deny, the denial that we are called into, is the same verb that is used a few chapters later for when Peter denies Christ. And in the original languages, it's important to note when words are used for different things. Because in English, we have this really confusing thing where we use the same word for a whole bunch of different stuff. 
We say deny here, we say deny there, and they mean different things, or the context doesn't impact the actual word that we use. In Greek, it matters. So we are called to deny ourselves, and then later it said that Peter denies Jesus. People come to him and say, weren't you with Jesus? After Jesus was arrested, people ask him that. He says, no. I was. I don't know the man. Mm. So how fascinating is it Mm. that Peter denies Christ? Mm. We are called to deny ourselves for the sake of Christ. What do we do with that? My, my thought is, is that that denial is not about denying who we are in Christ, but denying who we are without Christ, if that makes sense. We are called to deny self-preservation. Not self, not me, not who I am, not who God has created me to be, but that desire in me to preserve, to maintain to stay the same. We preserve a lot of things in life, and it's not a bad thing. Um, The women just the other week were talking about canning. Some of us are very excited to learn how to preserve things via canning. It's not a bad thing. We preserve wedding dresses. We preserve memories via photograph. Preserving things, the act of doing that, is not innately bad. But what does it mean to preserve something? It means to keep it the same. When you preserve something, when you can it, you plan on using it a long time after. So you need it to stay exactly the same so that you don't get sick a long time after when you try to eat it. And in order to utilize it, in order to embrace the usefulness of that preservation, you have to unpreserve it. And then the time starts, right? To preserve something is to keep it the same. To maintain how it is in that moment. To flourish means to grow with vitality. Healthy growth. Can those two live together in the same moment? I propose that they cannot. <laughs> As I'm sure you would have guessed. I'm not saying that we can't have both. I'm not saying that there are not moments for both. But if we want to flourish as Christians, as humans, we cannot be focused on our own preservation. Jesus was never focused on his own preservation. If Jesus was somebody who valued self-preservation, we would not have the gospel. Yes. Yes. We would have no gospel. We would not be here right now if self-preservation was a priority for Christ. It wasn't. And obviously, part of that is Jesus' death, but part of that is Jesus' life. Jesus took care of himself so that he could pour out so that flourishing could happen, not so that he could stay the same. I firmly believe that Jesus was moved and changed by the people he interacted with. That Jesus did not engage with people thinking, I have zero to learn from them, I'm just, I am Jesus, and so I'm this far above them, I don't need anything that they offer me. I don't believe that. 
I believe that Jesus was willing to be changed by the people he interacted with. Just like we are changed when we do life with other people. Amen? Amen. To follow Jesus is to live lives of service. This doesn't have to be in opposition to self-care. Like we talked about last week, that's why self-care is so important. It's because we're supposed to serve. Because we have work to do. And that service is an opposition to the controlling, the desire to dominate, to be in charge, to be use our pride to keep our status intact. That's what service is in opposition to. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, the Israelites, they're freed from slavery in Egypt. That's awesome, right? Yay, we're not slaves anymore. They get out, they're going through the desert. And little by little, they start encountering difficult things, understandably. It's a nation walking through the desert. They don't have food, they don't have water. All these things keep coming up. And finally, this whole group of people gets kind of fed up and they say, you know what, let's go back. Like, it was slavery, but we have food. Like, they fed us, at least. We don't have food out here. Talk about self-preservation. They would have rather been stuck in that space, been known as slaves, than to trust God with everything they were and flourished. Because God promises flourishing to us. But God, although God promises good, God has never promised easy. So flourishing does not mean easy, and I think one thing that we need to make sure we are fighting against is that idea that if I am comfortable, that's really good, because I made it. That flourishing has something to do with being comfortable. I assure you, it does not. That doesn't mean we need to avoid comfort at all costs. But comfort does not equate thriving. Comfort does not equate shalom. Especially if we have brothers and sisters who are hurting. I cannot flourish when children are separated from their families. I cannot flourish if black men are still being shot down. I cannot flourish when there's a flood ravaging an entire area on the other side of the country. It might be the other side of the country, but my well-being is dependent on their well-being. And I'm probably not going to travel over to the flood area and attempt to help in person, but there is work to be done, friends. That is the urgency in the book of Mark. That is the denial of self that we are called to. When Jesus speaks in the book of Mark, you need to listen. Because like I mentioned last week, the reason the book is so short is because there's not a lot of dialogue. So whenever there are several verses that show up read in your red letter Bible that Jesus is speaking, we need to pay attention because Mark is saying this much wording is important enough to add to this book that does not speak much. It's about action. 
So, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation? The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the angels. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Take up our cross. <clears throat> Feels heavy. And quite literally, the cross was very heavy. But that phrase, I feel like it's said a lot. We say, take up your cross. I need to take up my cross. And I have heard people use that verse, say, well, oh, this is just my cross to bear. I disagree. Difficult things that we come up against in life are not our cross to bear. Jesus' experience with the cross, with crucifixion, was not a little hurdle that he just had to work through throughout life. And I'm not saying that our difficulties are just little hurdles. That's not what I'm intending to say. What I'm intending to say is that Jesus taking up his cross was Jesus saying that something needs to be done. That people cannot and will not be reconnected to God the Father unless I pour myself out, take up my cross, and follow through with what is to be done. So when we are to take up our cross, I highly doubt that many of us will take up a literal cross. I've known a couple people who have symbolically carried a cross, which is not a bad thing. And if you have, let's chat. I'd love to hear about your experience. But when we take up our cross, we are saying there's work to be done. Shalom is not here yet. And my life cannot be fulfilled, cannot be everything that God wants it to be unless I am willing to lay down that desire for self-preservation. How literal of an example can we have of that? Then somebody, Jesus, taking up his cross and saying, my life is not as important as your relationship with God. That's what the cross did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's pointing us toward forward, toward what he was about to do, the self-denial, the push against self-preservation, the letting go, the suffering for other people. That's the cross that we take up. And it shows up different, differently in each of our lives, understandably. 
in the last few verses, Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Don't be ashamed of Jesus and Jesus' words. I think sometimes in all of our good intentions, we focus a lot on the cross. That is not a bad thing. But when we isolate the cross from the rest of Jesus' life, we get into some murky water there. Because Jesus says, do not be ashamed of me and my words. Jesus spoke words throughout his whole life. Jesus lived in a way that we need to consider, that we need to follow, that we need to live like. And the gospel is not just Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection three days later. The gospel is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And I would urge you to push back on anybody who says otherwise. Because why bother reading the whole of the gospels if it's not about Jesus' life as well, about the work that Jesus did? And if I can't die physically for the sins of other people, I need to look at Jesus' life because that's the space where I'm going to learn how I can serve. Because for us, death on the cross is symbolic in our lives. It's beautiful and it's important and it changes us because of what it did, because of the salvation that we're offered through that. But Jesus' life shows us what it means to live a full Life that is centered on God's shalom for all people. Amen? Amen. Yeah. You tracking? You following? Yeah. Wonderful. That's good. We have to risk something if we want to pursue shalom the way that Christ pursued shalom. Jesus, in the beginning of the passage, is teaching his disciples about suffering, which is everybody's favorite topic. I'm sure. <laughs> throughout, the, throughout the gospel, the disciples sort of represent, um, not every gospel, but in a lot of situations, they represent sort of that density. Like people, they just don't get it over and over. They just don't get it. And in this passage, Jesus quite literally says, I have to suffer. I have to be rejected. The chief priests and teachers, they have to have me killed. So that I can rise after three days. He spoke plainly. It literally says he spoke plainly about this. We go to the first verses, the 31. He spoke plainly about this. With all the parables throughout the Gospels. If Mark takes the time to say literally he spoke plainly about this, it means there was no room for confusion. None. Because the parables left tons of room. Jesus would tell a parable, and then he like might tell them what it meant, but he might not. You just leave that space, you know. Good luck. <laughs> but he spoke plainly. He told them what was going to happen, and Peter, dear Peter, <laughs> took him aside and began to rebuke him. One of the few times that Jesus tells him like it is, and Peter decides, nah. I'm not down with that, Rabbi. So no, you should you should not do that anymore. And Jesus says, "Really? Seriously? This cannot be from me. 
happening for me. And so he rebukes Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And what are human concerns about? Self-preservation. That's not from God. We are never given an image of God in the Bible that is about self-preservation. Never. Even God Almighty, God Most High, takes, takes risks on God's people. You have in mind human concerns, not the concerns of God. And most of us would not be willing to offer our life for the sake of another person. Thankfully, we don't often, we're not often literally faced with that situation. But we are daily faced with opportunities to decide what's more important, my success or caring for someone else. My fear of failure or this person's interaction with me. Me feeling a little bit uncomfortable or the truth that I need to speak in this moment. And it's an ongoing process, obviously. It's little by little. Even just yesterday, I was at a wedding, and I was chatting with somebody I hadn't seen in 10 years. And in that moment, she was like, what was she saying? I don't remember what she was talking about, but she was, I think, talking about a friend or her father, somebody, who had said something silly, and she said, he's so retarded. And in that moment, there was an opportunity for me to choose flourishing or to choose self-preservation. Now, I have spent a lot of time in my life, I, I like to think advocating and caring and being intentional about uh, how we engage with people with disabilities. And for those of you who, who haven't thought about it, to use the word retarded can be very hurtful because you're automatically assuming it's a negative thing when you use it that way, which automatically assumes that anybody who might be considered that is in and of themselves bad, not good enough. So in that moment, I had a choice. I could say, hey, you're really great, like, don't mean to cut you off, but I just feel like I should let you know that using that word in that context can be really hurtful to people, uh, myself included. And I know you didn't mean it, but just a heads up about that. <laughs> or I could say nothing and just let her keep talking. Guess what I did? <laughs> the first one. I wish. I wish it was the first one. <laughs> Exactly, Leo. That's exactly what I did in the car after I left the wedding. I was like, seriously? All the times that I've had that conversation with people, the worst that could happen in that situation is that she feels awkward, I feel awkward, and then we probably just keep talking, and then it's fine. Or she feels so awkward that she's like, oh, she's really rude, I don't want to talk to her anymore, and then she leaves, and I find someone else to talk to. <laughs> Those are quite literally the worst things that could have happened. And still that part of me that was worried about what she might think, that was worried about being uncomfortable in that situation with somebody I hadn't seen in a long time, it won. 
that part of me won. So it's real. And that's a small example. Throughout life, we have opportunities that are much more significant than that. But we have so many opportunities. So, in those moments when we have an opportunity to flourish, do we attempt to preserve? That, if there's nothing else you take away from that, pull out your phone, pull out paper, do you take one of the connection cards, pull out something to write with, and I just want you to write down, flourish or preserve. Because in those moments, if we can say that to ourselves, if we can remind ourselves, it's not about the discomfort. It's about the growth. That's going to start shifting us toward a life of flourishing despite discomfort. Despite the practice it takes. Thank you, Isaiah. He wrote it down. Leo, you guys win gold stars. I, I have some at home. We have to get uncomfortable. Do we believe that flourishing and comfort are one and the same? If you want to say no, great. But you should probably ask yourself that a few more times as time goes on. Because there are going to be some situations when your answer is yes, like my answer was yesterday. Are we willing to take risks the way that Jesus took risks on so many people with his own life, with his own body, and for the benefit of the people around him, knowing just a little bit more of Shalom, just a little bit more. I, um, I'm looking around and I actually think David Janice might be the only ones who've heard this story, not Tim, you probably heard it um, I shared this. I shared this story um, in a sermon that I preached a couple years ago. But I want to share it again because it's a, the feeling. Sometimes we have experiences where the feeling just stays with you. Probably forever. Maybe it fades a little bit, but it's there. When I was in high school, I was involved in a lot of sports. Couldn't tell. <laughs> so every day after school, I had some kind of practice, something that kept me into the evening. And one day, I had finished a basketball practice. Either I was doing something or people were running late, but my sister was on her way to pick me up. And so I was waiting outside the gym, and my sister rolls up in the family car. And you kind of have to walk a little ways to get down to the car, probably from here to the back, maybe, or a little bit farther. So I started picking up my stuff to go walk to the car, and I see this other car pull up right behind her. I didn't recognize the person, and I was the only one at the gym. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And this woman proceeds to lean out her car window and start yelling at my sister yelling and swearing road rage to the max. I can't believe you. You're going to get someone killed. You're a terrible driver. Probably some expletives. Don't remember exactly what she said, but she was so angry. And I remember the feeling in that moment of, I could go down and stand up for my sister. I could go say something. I could go, you know, at least get in the car. And I remember it was, it felt like a physical feeling that kept me back and I just waited. I didn't even walk toward the car. 
I stood at the door of the gym, waited for this woman to finish chewing out my older sister. And then after she left, I walked to the car. And I've forgiven myself, but that feeling, what it felt like to know that somebody dear to me, and if you, some of you know my older sister, she's dear to everyone. She's, she's absolutely incredible. One of the gentlest, kindest people you'll ever meet. And I was too terrified of that woman's words to even go sit in the car with my sister. And that memory brings up a lot of emotion for me, but that's not the only time that's happened. That's not the only time. It happened yesterday. It's happened over and over and over where my fear kept me from stepping in, from being there for somebody, doing something for somebody. My fear about my finances keeps me from giving to somebody who needs it. My fear about not having enough time to get my stuff done keeps me from having a conversation with someone who needs it. My fear about not knowing what to say keeps me from connecting with the person who I feel like they could probably use like a chat. Over and over again. And flourishing does not require fearlessness. You do not have to be fearless to flourish, but you have to be brave. You have to be brave. And there are people who don't have the option of being anything other than brave. The fact that we are all here right now means that each one of us has a certain level of privilege. And it's different for each of us, but we're here, we made it. We could travel here. We're not stuck at home because of domestic violence. We're not stuck in prison because of an unjust system or an unjust sentencing. We are here, and we have work to do. And I want us to know that that is urgent. That is why we care for ourselves. Because I want to be able to do the work that I am called to do for my brothers and sisters who can do nothing more than what they're doing right now. And it's not about suffering for suffering's sake. I think some people are tempted to take it a little bit too far. And if I'm suffering, then I'm doing it right. And that's why we talked about self-care. Because it's not just suffering for suffering's sake. If you really have, are completely wiped out and you have not taken care of yourself and you need to set a boundary but you don't know how, please try not to convince yourself that you are doing the right thing by going even farther, by suffering even more. It's not suffering for suffering's sake. To follow Jesus means life abundant. It means that we get both because we live in the now and the not yet. We live in a little bit of shalom, a taste of it, but not the fullness of it. Which means that we get to know that life can be abundant. We get to experience abundant life. In John 10, 10, life abundant. But we also have to work just like Jesus worked. Jesus 
did not do life and get enough and then sit back. And if Jesus didn't, then by all means, I cannot. I have not healed as many people as Jesus. So if it's a quota thing, not there yet. I have not taught as many people as Jesus. So that's a quota thing, not there yet. I have not been as patient as Jesus. So that's like a skill set. Not there yet. We have work to do. In the name of Shalom. And this passage wraps up with something that feels heavy. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. But let me tell you something. The Son of Man is coming in God's glory with the holy angels. The Jesus that we know in the Gospels, the Jesus that healed people, that cared for people, that told his disciples, come away, you need something to eat, you've got to take a break. And then found compassion for the thousands of people who had run around to the other side of the lake. That's the Jesus that's coming back. And when Jesus tells his disciples about the suffering, he says he must be killed and after three days rise again. There is hope. The disciples missed that. They caught up in the, it's going to be hard part. But they missed the whole, it's going to be worth it part. Let's not miss the, it's going to be worth it. Because it will. And we get to choose if we want to use the opportunities for flourishing to actually flourish or to preserve. Can you pray with me? God, thank you for promising good. Thank you for promising to give us what we need to do the work that needs to be done. Lord, would you be filling us? Would you be showing us how to step out in faith, how to deny ourselves, how to take up our cross? Lord, help us to be moved by the pain of others. Help us to find what we need to do life alongside those who are hurting, those who are struggling. And help us to remember that we, each one of us, are precious to you. That that's why we participate in this work. It's because it's not about doing service for other people. It's about doing life with other people. Lord, be reminding us of your Shabbat. Be reminding us of what it means to be brave in the different situations that we come upon. Thank you for promising to never leave us. Thank you for the example of Christ in his life, in his death. And thank you for his resurrection. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.